Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Welcome those of you who are joining us at Ferndale and those of you who are tuning in during the week online. We're glad that you're here with us as well. Last week, I started a brand new series called Headlines. And as part of that, I started the message off showing you a couple of headlines that were supposed to communicate a certain kind of truth and ended up communicating a completely different kind of truth. And a bunch of people kind of picked that up and started sending me some. And so if you find a good headline, you send it to me and maybe we'll highlight it. Here's a couple that I found this past week that I thought were kind of funny. If I could have that first one flown up there. Caskets, oh, pop that back. There we go. Caskets found as workers demolish mausoleum. Okay, what else would you expect to find in there? That's my big question. Let's take a look at this next one. We can roll to that next picture. There we go. Utah Poison Control Center reminds everyone not to take poison, okay? So just in case you were thinking about taking poison, that, you know, Utah cares about you. Here's another one. I'm going to just point this out. Let's roll to the next one. Waterford Boy 8 saves sister's life. Now, the headline's not that funny, but the byline is, I wouldn't do it again. She's been a pain this week, you know? All the siblings in the house are like, yeah, that's the truth right there. The headlines in ancient of Israel would have told a story of how an itinerant Jewish rabbi was really beginning to store, stir some stuff up because he came with a different message. He came with a message that God actually wanted to have a relationship with people. The message the Son of God brought was that he came to save humanity. That he came to pay the debt of sin and set everybody free. And Jesus began to teach this amazing message of grace and mercy. And it did not go over well with the religious types. See, they had a series of hoops that they wanted you to jump through in order to get God's grace and mercy. And Jesus was just saying, no, God's grace and mercy has come to you. You don't need to jump through a hoop. It's me. I'm right here. And these religious guys got so upset that they tried to corner Jesus over and over again. They were always trying to trip him up, pull him into a corner, box him in, and have him say something that they could hold against him. One of these moments is recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 20, where the Bible says this, starting at verse 20, and you can follow along on your outline that was in your program. If you've got a Bible with you, great, you can follow along, and uh, we're going to read this passage together. It says this, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something that he might say, so they might hand him over to the power and the authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that what you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way, the, the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he saw through their duplicity. Okay, first teachable moment as we walk through this passage of Scripture. When people come and inflate your ego, that's the first thing out of their mouth. You know, when, when they try to puff you up and tickle your ears with compliments and flattery, when they tell you that you're all that and you sit right next to Jesus on the right hand, I mean, Jesus has another throne at the right hand of God and that's where you sit. I mean, when people come and try to inflate your ego from the get-go, it's not because they like you, okay? It's because they're up to something, okay? It's not because they think they're all that, that you're all that. They're actually trying to get somewhere. They're trying to trap you in something. These guys are up to something, all right? They're laying a trap. And the trap comes in the form of a question. And the question is this. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, I want you to understand something. Let me explain the trap to you, okay? It goes like this. 
If Jesus says yes, then he's a traitor to both Israel and Judaism. The people of Israel at this time were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. They did not like the Romans. They wanted the Romans to go away and leave them alone because they were the people of God. And if Jesus said yes, he would have picked the side of Rome when all of the Israelites were saying, don't pick that side. So if he said yes, he's a traitor to Israel and Judaism. But if he says no, he's a traitor to Rome and the government. If Jesus says no, he's actually breaking Roman law. I mean, it's been decreed by the ruling government. And in that moment, he would have been convicted as a rebel and he would have been executed. They think they've got him both ways. They think they've got Jesus cornered. In their minds, they're thinking, if this is a chess game, checkmate. We've got you. You are cornered. You can't move. Game, set, match. This is done. The irritant is going to be removed. The religious rabbi that's walking around, stirring up trouble for us, very pure and pristine religious guys, He's going to be dealt with once and for all. He's going to be silenced. But that's not the way it works. Not so fast. Because the Bible says this. He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius. Now here's a picture of a denarius. That's Tiberius Caesar who had been ruling during the time of Jesus. Okay? So he says, pull out this coin. I want to take a look at it. And then he says this. Show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, and give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. Here's a coin whose image is on it. But Caesar's image, give it to him. If there's another image on it, render it in a completely different place. Now, I don't want you to forget what the question was. The question was, is, was basically this. You know, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? Okay, because April 15th is coming up very soon, how many of you wish Jesus would have just said no, right? It just would have been cool, right? Jesus said no, no taxes. That means on that particular day, we don't have to pay anything to the government. We get to go out for a mocha and celebrate, right? I mean, that would have been so nice if he would have let us off the hook, but that's not what he said. Sorry to disappoint you. You do have to pay your taxes. But Jesus' answer is basically this. If it bears Caesar's image, you give it back to Caesar. If it bears God's image, then you give it back to God. That's a good answer. I mean, these guys think they've got him, but that's a good answer. He moves through the trap and he gets to the heart of the issue. Because really the biggest question is about this. It's about ownership. You give to Caesar what bears him, his image, give to God what bears, his, what bears his image. Now the answer of Jesus leads us to a very logical question, okay? And the question is this, if the coin belongs to Caesar, then what belongs to God? What's his? The coin belonged to Caesar because the image of Caesar was stamped on it. So where do we find the image of God stamped in this broken world? Where's the image of God that we can actually look at and understand? What belongs to God? And the answer is this. You belong to God. You personally belong to God. You bear the image of God. God created you in his image. The fingerprints of God are, are, are all over your soul. Whether you acknowledge it or not, the thumbprint of God Almighty is stamped on the deepest part of your being. 
That's the most important part of your humanity. It's the fingerprints of God on your soul. And you can claim ownership and you can claim origin, but the truth of God is this. Your make, model, and serial number belong to Jesus. They've always belonged to Jesus. They're going to belong to Jesus. And in the future, they're going to belong to Jesus as well. The Bible says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. Your existence belongs to the one who gave his life for you. Your life belongs to the one who created all things, who holds all things together, who's the head of the church, who conquered death once and for all, who destroyed the chains of sin, who reconciled you to his father so that you could live, who laid down his life so that you could have a life and have it more abundantly, who made peace with God so you could know God personally, who shed his own blood so you didn't have to, who brought you together with God so that your life could have purpose and mission and joy. You belong to him. Do you understand that? Your image is stamped. His image has been stamped on you. You belong to him, to him who sits on the throne and is supreme in all things, to him who called you out of darkness into light, to him who gave you a road out of bondage. I mean, to him, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory and praise because his image is on the middle of your soul. Do you get that? Do you completely understand? Now, some of you are thinking, so what? What does it matter? What does it matter that you bear his image? What does it matter that the fingerprints of God are on your soul? What does it matter and why does it matter? Let me tell you why it matters. It matters because as an image bearer of God, you are his. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to the one whose image has been stamped in the center of your soul. We've already covered it, but I want to tell you just how important it is. And it's so important we need to know its origin. In the moment of creation, God imprinted his image on humanity. First chapter of the Bible, it says this. Then God said, let us, referring to the Trinity, make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Deny it or not, every single human being that's inside of this room right now has a striking family resemblance to God Almighty himself. Even if you've worked hard to hide that image, it's still there. It resonates in the center of your soul. You know, growing up, I got so sick and tired of hearing this phrase. I'd walk into a certain place in the community that I grew up in, and inevitably somebody would say this, you're Ernie's boy, aren't you? Drove me nuts. My dad was fairly well known in the community, and that's what it was all about. Used to drive me crazy. You're Ernie's boy, right? Yes, I'm Ernie's boy. 
You know, now it doesn't bother me as much because the truth is this, Ernie's actually aging very well, you know? Ages, you know, Ernie's a bit of a stunner in his 70s, you know? He's a good-looking guy. I've nicknamed him the Silver Fox because he's all silver now, you know? He's just a good-looking guy, and I don't take it bad. Now I see it as a compliment. My reality is this. I'm a fish book. If you don't like it, tough. Who asked you, you know? I'm a fish book. That's the name on my birth certificate. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if somebody walked up to you during the middle of this next week and said this to you? You're one of God's kids, aren't you? I could tell. You're one of God's kids because you do things different. You act different. You talk different. I know who you are. I know who your parent is. You're one of those Jesus freaks, aren't you? Yes, I am. And I'm living up to my family resemblance. You know, the, well, the whole point of last week's, week's message was that Jesus was different and he wants us to be different too. Why are we called to live differently? It's because not only are you his, but you are his in character. It goes beyond just your identity, but you actually get to represent a part of Jesus' character. The Bible says this in 1 Peter, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that has been brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We live differently. We're supposed to be able to, to stand out because we're supposed to be salt and light. That's what we learned last week. We learned that holiness is a decision and that decision is tested each and every day. So I kind of roll off of Sundays. I try, I try to, you know, recheck my heart and get, get my mood back in again because I'm just exhausted by the time we're done a weekend. And on Monday mornings, I tend to kind of go and hide away in a corner. I find a, a corner in, in a coffee shop somewhere and I just want people to leave me alone. Just leave me alone, right? I do fake things like I wear headphones even though I'm not listening to music, you know. And I type on my computer so I pretend I don't see people out of my peripheral vision. I just want to be left alone. Now, you got to remember, I was just finishing a message on being salt and light and acting differently. So, you know what's coming, right? So I'm at Woods in, in, on Bakerview, you know, and if you know that store, if you walk into one of those side entrances, there's about four tables that are kind of sandwiched together in their own little section. And the corner was open. I love it when the corner's open. Because I can just kind of stick myself back in the corner. Hardly anybody even sees me, you know? Then I can just hide and work on whatever it is that I'm supposed to be working on for the next week. And as I'm sitting there, this place is just filling up. It's getting fuller and fuller. And pretty soon these two guys sit right down next to me. And they start having a conversation about an ethical decision that one of these guys has to make at work this coming week. And I'm trying to pretend I'm not listening. I'm trying really hard just to mind my own business. I don't even want to listen. I just want to be left alone. I want to read my paper. I just want to be left alone. And these guys are talking back and forth. And, and the, the answer to the dilemma was very simple. Tell the truth. That's what they needed to do. Just be honest. Tell the truth. But the guy on the other side of the table, he's listing off every single other option other than just tell the truth. And I'm dying, sitting there, just like, mm, are you kidding me? I don't even know these people. And I can hear my own voice in my head. You are the salt of the earth. 
you're the light of the world. No, not on Mondays, you know? <laughs> so I sit there, I mind my own business, and these guys actually suddenly get up and they leave. And I'm like, off the hook. This is perfect. They kind of got up from the table and they split. The one guy who got the information goes into the bathroom. The other guy heads out the door. So I'm just like, this is per Oh, good. All right, you know, mind my own business. I'm going to be salt. I'm just staying in the salt shaker right now, you know? <laughs> guy goes to the bathroom, comes back out, and he stops right in front of my table. So I say, you don't know me, but I have another option. And he looks at me like, were you eavesdropping? You know, I'm like, (laughs) small restaurant, you're eight inches away. What's a guy supposed to do, you know? Here's another option. None of my business, but do you ever think about just telling the truth? I mean, you would have thought that I was talking in a foreign language. Just like, just, just be honest. Tell the truth. We are his in character. And above all people, that character is supposed to shine all the time. Amen? even when you just want to be left alone on a Monday morning. We are compelled because we are His in character. Thirdly, you are His in mission. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the mission of Jesus was simple. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's His heart. And I'd like to take about three minutes and 19 seconds and show you a picture of what happens to a group of people when they decide to join Jesus in his mission. Let's watch the screens right now. Behind each face is a story, and each Christian is a piece of Jesus. And if you took all several billion Christians in the world and put them all together, you might begin to see just a small glimpse of of the magnitude of our God. When we were first looking at what we were going to be doing on this trip, uh, we looked at uh, the water filters as the, the first priority. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like I. In talking to Living Water for Roatan, they said that it would really expand their system if we could install some more water lines. Greater things have yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in this city. We were told about uh, Enrique's need uh, to expand his house. Enrique is a, one of the key players with Living Water for Roatan, has dedicated his life to serving the people here. So we added a fifth task onto that, which was to begin putting in the foundation for an addition to his home. Leading up to this trip, we got a call from Peggy, and she had mentioned that she had been praying that uh, she could get the clinic painted before her grand opening next month. So God just kind of tugged at our heart and got us to add that to the list. You're the peace to the restless. 
that Vacation Bible School was going to be a first priority. Oh, my heart just, you know, just is so full of joy. Just a wonderful place to be in. I'm just so blessed that I was able to come here and uh, see all these wonderful people and learn from them. When we first started out, I was thinking, well, that's an awful lot to, to take on here on our first trip. But I guess I underestimated the abilities of the people that we had on the team here because we managed to complete every task and plus add a few more in addition to that. So uh, there's a lot of needs have been met and all to God's glory. Seeking and saving the lost is the mission that every person who bears the image of God is called to. That's our bottom line. It's a mission of rescue. This past year, just like you, I got to, to watch on television as a group of people undertook a mission of rescue with a group of Chilean miners who were stuck way under the ground for a really, really, really long time. I watched that group of rescuers as they put aside their personal comfort for the sake of saving somebody else's life. They worked past the point of exhaustion they used every ounce of strength and courage that they have because what they knew is this. If they didn't rescue the men that were down that mine shaft, they were going to die. And their mission compelled them to get involved. It eclipsed everything. It eclipsed their personal pain when they got blisters. It eclipsed their personal exhaustion when they were so tired they couldn't even think straight. They were completely motivated and compelled because they had to save the lives of those men. The mission of Jesus Christ should be so much more compelling than that, that it motivates all of us, that it keeps us engaged, that it never allows us to ever get caught up in our own personal identity. Instead, that we should see ourselves as drink offerings that are supposed to be poured out over and over and over again. You know, when I'm watching those news deals, I was amazed at what I didn't see. Because unfortunately, you know, you know we're, we're supposed to be involved in this amazing mission of seeking and saving the lost in our own way, being involved in a rescue mission with people who are trapped and dying and going to hell without Jesus. We're supposed to be engaged in that. But the problem is sometimes, you know, we dig for a little while and then we get distracted with something. We get distracted with a personal like or a personal preference. And if it doesn't fit in our world... You know what we end up doing? We stop digging. You know, I never saw one person on the ground in Chile digging away, doing everything they could to save those guys down the mine. I never saw them go, you know what? I do not like the digging music around here. That just does not work for me. And you know what? The temperature of the room was just a little too warm tonight for me. I should probably write a letter of complaint about that. 
you know, on top of that, there's, I'm just not sure if this is worth it because my hands hurt when I dig. And besides, I have no guarantee of the reception I'm going to get when we actually dig into that cave. I mean, well, what if they don't appreciate the fact that I've been digging here for a very, very, very long time? What if they don't like my brand of shovel? And while we stand on the surface complaining about what we like or don't like, Jesus stands on the edge of Easter and says, Dang. I got one person that agreed with me. Dig. They're dying. You were dying once too. And somebody picked up a shovel and went after your soul. And Jesus interrupted you and messed you up and changed everything in the entire direction of your life. And now you want to know how to pay it forward? This is how you do it. You dig because you have been called in his mission. Because you've got his image stamped in the center of your soul. To not dig is to deny the image of God that's stamped in the middle of your heart. Enjoy passing out your invitations this week. Enjoy it. Love it. Embrace it with everything that you have. Here's the last one. You are his in transformation. The Bible says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord whose spirit God is saying, I'm transforming you into the image of Jesus. You're going to be the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. Don't just concentrate on being a mouth. Christians are known, we're just known for the mouth, right? It's the hands and the feet, as well as the mouth, that communicate and invite and draw and encourage. Romans 8 says this, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that he may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are being transformed. Here's the key question from this passage. Whose image do you bear? Whose image do you bear? Me, mom and dad, whose image do you bear when you're screaming at your children? Right? Whose image do you bear when you cheat on your taxes? Whose image do you bear when you take a little piece of paper and walk up to another human being and saying, on Easter Sunday, I'm going to go celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, and I was wondering if you'd like to come with me. You can wear jeans. The coffee is free. And they won't do anything weird. I promise. Whose image do you bear when you interrupt your world and go on a rescue mission to the other side of the world or to the soccer fields at the corner of Northwest and whatever that other road is? Whose image are you going to bear this week? Whose image will you reflect? Well, I'm going to turn the service over to the campus pastor at Ferndale. Ferndale, thanks for joining us. You're going to be doing what we're going to do right now because church, we worshiped at the beginning. But now we have a moment when we can worship him. This is not the end of the service. 
In fact, I'm going to encourage you to do something. The Bible says that we are to be doers of the word, not just merely hearers. So Mike and the band are going to come and they're going to join us right now. This is not the last song. This is your response to God. So God's going to pay very careful attention. I'm not trying to heap guilt on you, but Jesus is going to know whether or not you use a time when you're supposed to reflect back to him what he just told you in his heart. He's going to know whether or not you use it to get to your car before everybody else so you can get to Billy McHale's and have your order in before the rest of the people get there. This is a moment when God's people get to say back to God, I get it. I choose your image. I will reflect your image in character, in mission, and in transformation this coming week. So church, let's stand together and make sure the Lord knows that we got it. Let's stand together. You bear his image. It's stamped on your heart. And his image says, doesn't matter what everybody else does, we rescue. We are holy. Which means this. The Bible says you're the salt of the earth. Be salty. You're the light of the world. Shine. You're being transformed. together all of the glory and all of the majesty and all of the power will go to the right place to the one whose image we bear the image of Jesus and Jesus alone amen